Hello and welcome to Tomlin's Harmonica Podcast, where I'll be hanging out with players and teachers and having conversations loosely based around harmonica. This week's guest is a Grammy Award-winning harmonica player. He's played with many great musicians, including Johnny Winter and Walter Trout. He's well known for his lightning-fast playing and complete mastery of the overblows and overdraws, which he combines with an extensive pedal board to create a unique sound on the harmonica. He's one of my all-time harmonica heroes. He is Jason Ritchie. How are you doing, Jason? Dun, dun, dun. I'm all right. I'm all right. Let, first of all, let me let's let's just go down the list of shit you just said about me, and let's fuck. And let, sorry, can I swear on this podcast? Of course you can. Of course you can. All right, let's just let's just fix it. Okay. First of all, uh, technically, I I didn't win a Grammy. All right. Technically, right? Like uh, I'm just on a Grammy award winning record. They changed the rules, right? right? Like 10 years ago. Yeah. So only the producer now and the artist whose name is on the record gets the Grammys. So you don't, it used to be if you were played on a Grammy award winning record, you won a Grammy. That's not true anymore. Oh, man. So I have this cheap little Grammy certificate okay. that says, like, yeah, but I'm not actually eligible for the trophy that costs $250 if you win it. Oh, do you have would to you pay for it? Any- oh, yeah. Would you <laughs> expect anything less in this business, right? Right? Anything, right? So that So there's number one. Number two, complete mastery of overblows. Okay, look, maybe I can do them okay, but I don't know. I don't know where to put them all the time. <laughs> all right. That's that's all I got. So I just had to correct that. That's fair. Right that's there. fair. Well, that right. sucks about right. the Grammy. I I still feel that you're yeah. a Grammy award winning player. Uh, in in, in my it. mind, you are. <laughs> my man. <laughs> so uh, for listeners uh, who don't know where you are, whereabouts are you based? New Orleans, Louisiana, proudly. Go Saints. Very cool. And and what's what's it like there at the moment? Because um, I, I think different places are having a slightly different experience of the of the situation. They just announced that all public gatherings for the entire year of 2020 are canceled. Oh wow. Yep. Um, supposedly, we're the either the worst or the second worst city in the United States in terms of actual supposed infection for coronavirus. And, uh, you know, a lot of that's cause we had Mardi Gras here right at the right time mm-hmm. when, you know, people didn't know that the virus was being carried by everybody. And we had millions of people in the city from out of town, from all over the world, you know, that's really scary. Are you are you actually in the city or you're a little bit further out? No, I'm right in the middle. I'm right downtown. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the the city is divided up into sections and they all have little nicknames and um, I'm in the middle of Mid City, which is the middle of the city, okay. right? Yeah, so as close to downtown as you can be without being downtown. Uh-huh. And are they yeah. being quite strict about your your movements within within the city and stuff? No, <clears throat> no. Uh, there's no uh, fines that I know of that are happening. Um, I mean, we've shut down all non-essential, quote unquote, businesses, and uh, you know. But uh, 
like apparently you, you can just you can see the priorities right like you can't buy clothes but you can buy liquor <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you can go to the liquor store right but that's that's essential right mm-hmm. but but not but not clothing no yeah yeah we, we <laughs> yeah. had the same here so um we <laughs> we had uh everybody rushing to buy toilet paper and pasta and then all of our bars got closed and all the wine and beer and whiskey like everything was cleared out of the supermarkets because like everyone panicked you know what are we going to do for entertainment um and and right now it's starting to chill (laughs) the other good thing about that though is like it, it if cash or money should become irrelevant Right. Which is a possibility. Mm-hmm. All right. Like, in, you know, in a dystopian future, uh, there would be nothing better to trade than liquor and tobacco. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, of course, water, water would be the number one essential. Right. But then after that. Yeah. Makes sense. It makes sense. And so are you being quite, quite careful and staying indoors and being sensible and stuff? Uh, no, uh, you know, I mean, I am right. I am, but like, I'm, I'm a rebellious spirit and a curious one too. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm having the band over this Saturday to do a show, uh, online. Uh, I, I'm at a place now where I think there's probably has already been, more deaths related to untreated non-coronavirus related deaths that have gone unchecked from medical systems and uh, probably starvation in India already from the shutdown there and soon to be crime related deaths from people who can't eat, can't get money to eat. Right. So, you know, I'm an, I'm not being sensible. I'm not. I I believe I'm healthy, and so are my bandmates. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything that I've read about from people with degrees from MIT and Im- immunization and immunity and uh, and bio uh, biological engineering and stuff says that diseases you know i think that old people and people susceptible with outside causes they should remain indoors Mm -hmm. but i believe the rest of us should go back to work yeah right i mean most of us are okay like like check it out like i'm pretty sure i had the virus pretty sure right like let me detail what happened to me i had seven days where i couldn't taste or smell anything tomlin wow anything like I could drink coffee, black coffee, iced as if it was water. I could put soap on my tongue. I couldn't smell shampoo, couldn't smell anything, garbage, nothing. Couldn't smell a thing. All right. Had 101.7 fever and a mild cough that would exhibit itself in the evening. Okay. That lasted like the, the no smelling and tasting thing lasted seven or eight days the cold and flu symptoms themselves lasted about three days. After that, I was completely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be the report. The doctors told me directly, do not go get tested if you're not 
in any danger. Yeah. Like if you can breathe, don't even bother to go out just to add to the statistics because you could infect more people. Mm -hmm. So just stay inside. Right. That's what I did. I was fine. It was one of the mildest flus that I personally have ever had. I'm not saying it hasn't been dangerous for other people, but for me, it was less dangerous than or less uh, 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 life changing than a regular flu virus mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And I, we don't even know that I even had it. But those are the symptoms, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Not tasting or smelling. Right. right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of weird because so I live uh, in, in the north of the UK, in Scotland, um, and we haven't had anywhere near as many cases as they've had further south. Uh, and, and so there's there's kind of always this question when you when you talk to someone on the phone or Skype or whatever, it's like, so do you know anyone who's had it? And none none of us do. And then I talk to people in London. It's like, oh yeah, there's this list of this 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 and this, and it's it's a completely different scenario. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's weird. The thing that I found that that made it the first time I got scared going outside, which is such a weird thing to say is when I, I, I put a scarf over my face a couple of days ago just just to be uh, super kind of careful. And that made me feel like something was wrong. And that was the first time I felt scared being outside. The rest of the time, it's been pretty relaxed. And yeah. 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 Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> okay, well, let's, yeah. let's, let's uh, talk about more, more uh, lighthearted <laughs> stuff. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll come back to a little bit of COVID chat. Um, sure. But um, one one thing I wanted to to ask about because I know you're a cat person. Uh, we're 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 cat people as well. Our cat got really nice. really freaked out by us being in all the time, and she was like, the yeah. the initial reaction was like, yeah, this is cool. My people are here, and it's like, why why didn't you leave already? This is wrong. Have you had the same experience? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the cat started coughing oh, during the time that I yeah during the time that I was sick, and then they and they were like, oh no no no, cats can't get it. But then some tiger in the Bronx Zoo got it, right or something, right? So so anyway, uh, yeah, the cat is like uh, he he was pretty stoked at first. But my wife's like always here, mm -hmm. right? Except when we we go on tour. And then somebody comes and like looks in on him when we're when we're on tour, right? But like now he's just been more demanding, mm -hmm. right? He just wants stuff all the time, like not attention, like food, right? He like you can feed him, and then 15 minutes later he's like, "Dude, give me some more food," right? <laughs> you know, which so he's like gaining weight, and so am I. And so is my wife, you know, we're just putting on the pounds, man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's the, uh, the, the quarantine diet isn't, isn't great. Everyone in, in the UK has started baking. Uh, so there's uh -huh. shortages cool. of flour and sugar and eggs. Oh, really? So we're all going to get fat. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've been getting fat, man. I need to like get down to fighting weight here. <laughs> so, so do you, I, I, I've, talking of like fighting weight and uh and exercise and stuff i've seen videos yeah. of you skateboarding is that something that you still do <laughs> yeah i was out yesterday nice. I, not very successfully you know was pretty disappointed with myself you know uh <laughs> like, but yeah i i i, I see i can't I, it's terrible because 
you know, you, you're going to get hurt mm-hmm. every time. Not, maybe not every time, but almost every time you skate. If you really are skating, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're just going to the store or something, you'll probably be okay. You know, like one out of 20 or 30 or 50 times going to the store, you'll hit a pebble and you're just done. Right. Uh-huh. But like. But if you're actually skating and trying tricks and stuff, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt, right? So, like, I've broken my wrist three times, right? I've broken my little finger. I I got floating cartilage in my hip. Okay, my elbow is completely shablanked, right? Like, it just is totally messed up. All right, everything has, like, been ruined by skateboarding. But here's the problem. There's these videos of that they put out every day of guys skateboarding. Mm-hmm. And I can't the, the the videos are habitual like for me, like in my well-being, my frame of mind, like nothing takes me out of the world. Not music, not music. Nothing takes me out of the world like watching people skateboard. It's like my purest number one since I was a child form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Right. So I watch the videos and then I want to go skateboard. Right. And then, you know, so and my wife, like she's trying to get me to wear like protective padding and stuff. And, you know, like I, I won't do it. Right. You know, I'm terrible. You know, so like I just won't put the stuff on. I just grab the board and go. Uh-huh. You know? I, I feel that the, so it's, the other kids might uh, might take the piss out of you if you put the pra- the padding on. Dude, there's, there's some of that. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to lie, you know, but yeah, man, it's not good for like a music career. Mm-hmm. Like breaking your wrist as a harmonica player is a bad thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, not as bad as guitar, but well, that, that's so that for, for me, that's the issue. I, uh, there are all these things that I've always wanted to do. I've wanted to skate. I've wanted to snowboard and I'm a guitarist as well. And I'm just, I'm so precious about my hands. It's like, I, I can't do anything that's risky, which makes me feel really boring and like an old man. I think I knew that you snowboarded. Well, I so I, I've I, never I been. That. I want to snowboard, but I'm scared to. <laughs> oh, did you maybe mention that with Will in the Will Wild thing Possibly, or possibly. Okay, I can't remember. But yeah, no, snowboarding's fun. Yeah, you hit your butt more than anything in okay. snowboarding. But yeah, wrists are possible too. Yeah, but your snow's a lot more forgiving though True. than concrete. True. Yeah. True. All right. So um, let's let's have a, a really quick uh, side on uh, the the live streaming gigs because you said you're doing another one with the band. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I watched a bit of the the one that you did. Uh, I think it was like three weeks Thanks. ago or something. It was cool. Yeah. Um, Thanks, man. How, how'd you find it? How'd you find um, getting the audience interaction without getting the audience interaction? Well, I mean, we got reviewed in Offbeat Magazine, okay, which is the New Orleans music magazine. So, like, I've had limited, like, extremely limited coverage in that magazine, even though I've lived here, you know, off and on a lot since 2010, right? Uh, You know, the city is like, (laughs) they love you when you first get here. But then after a couple of years, they're like, hey, what high school did you go to? 
And they're looking, you know, they're looking for that local connection. Yeah. And if you don't have that, you know, that you might you might get like uh, play second fiddle for a little while, right? Mm-hmm. Which is cool. I like that. I like that it protects its own culture, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's one area that like, you know, transient quote unquote gentrification can't touch. The city loves its own. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we did an online concert and they wrote a beautiful review of us. Right. So that was really interesting. Right. Like I did a show in my house <laughs> and I got more attention than playing at like the Maple Leaf or Chicky Wawa or some of the bigger clubs here in town, you know, or the cooler clubs, not bigger, but cooler. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's going okay. Uh, I think the amount of people doing online shows right now, is uh, overwhelming the listening audience. Uh, you know, there was this thing, you know, back in the day where labels were served as filters mm-hmm. for the public. You know, you had to be good, number one, and you had to be kind of, you know, you had to be at least sort of good or original. Right. And then maybe not good, but original. But and then, you know, you you had to be serious, meaning this is what you wanted to do with your life in order to get on a label. Right. In, in order for a label to spend money on you, they had to believe that there was a potential for return. Mm-hmm. Right. Of that money. And what that did back in the day was it created a filter. So you might not have access to all the artists in the world. And sure, there were some great guys that play on their porch that went unnoticed. And the invention of the Internet made it possible for us to see some of these people on their porch and or YouTube. Right. And uh, and this was cool. And then we had Spotify and uh, and download file sharing, illegal file sharing and all of this stuff. And that kind of leveled the whole label playing field. And now all of a sudden it's really hard to have that filter. Mm-hmm. All right. There's so much information and you got guys that are having success with one song that went viral on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or a performance even of them just playing over a jam tracks. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, and then now all of a sudden this artist is legitimate as legitimate as somebody that's been doing it their whole life working hard because they had one thing. Right. So like you could say what you want about whether or not that's fair or not, but now we see the same thing with live performance happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where the, the, the people are at home and you got, and you have people out there that are, that are saying, I'm a professional musician. I've been a professional musician my whole life. Here's my house concert. Here's my Venmo. Here's my PayPal. And you go to their page and you look at like on Facebook and you look at their history and it's like insurance salesman. Yeah. Right. Plumber. Right. You look at their job history and then you look at their past posts from 2019 and none of it at all has anything to do with music. Mm -hmm. None of it. Right. So like, I'm sorry to be negative right now, but this is what we're up against. I, I started a group called online blues and jazz concerts 
and I post anything and, and, and everything that is supposedly from an artist that has lost income due to the coronavirus, okay, the pandemic, the shutdown, whatever you want to call it. The amount of videos that I get from people I've never heard of, okay, asking for money, asking for money, mm-hmm. okay, it, it's, it's absolutely daunting. It's like 16 to 1, right, of, of people that have never done this before, that have for a living, okay? Maybe they do a Tuesday night open mic in Topeka, Kansas, right, or something like that, but basically have never done this for money. They're taking advantage of this opportunity to be on equal internet footing, right, with people that are dependent upon music for income. Okay, so that's, you know, part of it. Now, of course, you know, there's the old saying, the cream rises to the top and all of that stuff like that, right? But poop also floats, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, it's kind of messed up, man, you know? Um, And, and, and like, sometimes I feel like, we'll see how this new concert goes. The first one generated about $1,800 for the band, which is a significant amount of money. Uh, So I was able to pay the guys like $500 a piece. And Kate and I didn't take anything because or took very little because I'm teaching Mm -hmm. online. And as long as I have students coming in, I'm not dependent upon live music for income. So all of these concerns that I'm voicing to you that sound like they are rooted in a bit of resentment, I'm not denying that they are. All right. What I am saying is that it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It has. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's about people that I'm looking at that that don't teach harmonica or guitar or banjo or whatever, right? They they're just simply out of work, and now they're suddenly having to find themselves learning to to use GarageBand and uh, and OBS and and all of this different like buffering software and uh, camera angles and mixing and all of this stuff that. You know, that should have been the job of somebody else in the industry is now up to us to do. And it's just crazy. It's crazy. It, it is crazy. But I think that it, it's kind of an indication of, of where we've been for the last at least 10 years in that, you know, the, the industry has not been kind to people who aren't uh, kind of keeping on top of all the latest technology and all the all the different things they you know people have to self-manage now and they have to run their own yeah. brand um right which is great right. if you're that if you have that mindset but if you're a little bit more old school or or even if you're just one of those people who kind of by, by luck of what time they came into the industry it's it's almost too difficult to make the transition. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that sure. I play with here locally who have been doing kind of the local bar and club scene for the last forty years, and you know, I mean, their their income has completely fallen uh, off a cliff, and they're not going to start right. doing online stuff. They don't know how to start doing that stuff. Right. Right. And then, you know, the argument that's been made to me, because I've voiced some of these complaints on Facebook and people have gotten angry and said, well, look, I lost my job, too. So how can you hate on me for trying to make a few bucks with a guitar? You know, Mm -hmm. I I get it. 
I get it. They're scrounging. They're trying to do what they got to do. The bottom line is if every chef in this city of New Orleans suddenly lost their ability to cook and everybody decided they were going to have a barbecue on their front porch and sell the, the, the food, that would piss a bunch of real chefs off. <laughs> There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. There's no way around it. It would piss them off, you know, and that, so that's sort of how I feel, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, uh, but yeah, you're right about like the whole technology thing and like, like, Hey man, like I, I've been, I'm kind of in between, you know, the really knowing how to do it and the, and being terrified and scared of it. Like my guitar player for a second just started Facebook yesterday wow okay right and he doesn't even know how to use email or anything Mm. okay so he's completely devastated by this all right i on the other hand i'm generation x i'm i'm the generation that that's not you know, in really into technology, but I'm not scared of it either. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I'm not, I'm not like tied to my phone all day either, you know, and uh, I don't have scheduled Instagram posts that I do, or I'm not, you know, I'm not like for forcing myself to hit Instagram at noon, hit Facebook at 10 AM, hit YouTube at by, you know, I don't do that. And, And that's what it takes nowadays. To continue to do really well, if you you look at like some of the artists, uh, like like Dennis Grunling, for example, he's got like microphone Mondays mm-hmm. and like uh, and, and like we were talking the other day, and he's like, well, I don't I don't have nearly as many subscribers as you do, Jay. Well, that's only the only reason that he doesn't have as many as me is because I've been doing it since almost the day that YouTube came out. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was excited by YouTube. It was like pirate radio. To me, I was like, wow, I can suddenly now say whatever I want to say on YouTube, right? But Dennis will surpass me in subscribers probably by the end of the year just because he's more consistent Mm -hmm. about how he puts out content. I, I have too many mental health issues and personal problems to be responsible enough to post regularly, you know? Yeah, I there there is a lot in that in in the kind of it's almost kind of detracted from the uh, the kind of natural music creativity. Uh, you know, it, it, as long as you're consistent, you'll get somewhere. But right. I I do still think I know I know you said that 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 shit floats as well. But I think you know cream cream does go does rise to the top. <laughs> And yeah, I think you're right, man. <laughs> you're right. Keep going. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, I, I think what we're having at the moment is we, we, we've got such a profoundly extreme adjustment period because it's just been so kabam. You know, what what would have taken years and years to transition into has been forced on us in, in the space of a couple of weeks. So it's going to be yeah. really messy for a while. But yeah. I think, you know, if... Yeah kind of long term when we get a little bit more stable you know the the good musicians will be the ones that people seek out um and i i think the the numbers are something to be careful of you know i call them vanity metrics it's uh you know you can have thousands and thousands of subscribers but that doesn't always mean uh, a loving loyal fan base 
Um, it, Aww. <laughs> but but it, it, it's it, nice. It's true though, because yeah. um, I mean, you you have. I hope I hope so. I I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm going to stroke your ego a little bit more. Uh, you know, you, you you have that that super super loyal loving fan base, um, and you do have a, a decent subscriber level, but. You know, it's not it's not kind of giant if we look at YouTube numbers. Uh, right, you know, we right. look at the people like the YouTubers that kids want to be. You know, they have millions yeah. and millions of subscribers, uh, and, yeah. and that's a whole different story. But you don't need millions and millions of subscribers if you have you know that thousand true fans that that love everything you do and want to support you. Um, I hear you. I hear you. And I mean, and I think like that, you know, that speaks that or that was demonstrated by the YouTube concert we did that generated nearly two grand. You know, it's like 1800 bucks or something like that. You know, it was like, wow, like I had no idea. Now, it'll be interesting to see this coming Saturday if that money is the same because we're into the pandemic. More people have lost their jobs. More people are preparing to save their money. Suddenly artists, singers, songwriters, guitars, harmonicas, saxophones, suddenly we're not quite as important as we were three weeks ago. Yeah. All right, you know what I mean? Now it might be time to save money in case we need to shut down for another few months or longer. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, and I'm assuming that uh, there isn't anything really in place yet in the U.S., to kind of replace lost earnings for musicians and that kind of thing. <laughs> well, your assumptions <laughs> are really on point. Uh, yeah, there's supposedly like this new gig workers, uh, uh, you know, unemployment. Uh, it's supposed to be 600 bucks a week or something. Um, but I know numerous people that have applied for it and not one that's received it. Uh, so there's that, yeah. That's that's. And you, I'm sure you've heard about the... $1,200 stimulus check that we're <laughs> supposed to get. And like some people have gotten it, right? Yeah. But we haven't. But yeah. also, I mean, not, not to, 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 to shit on it, but what's $1,200 going to do? Oh, thank you. No, I'd shit on that all you want. Yeah, 1200 bucks now is nothing for months and months of unemployment. Mm -hmm. you know. And they keep saying, oh, well, we're not going to evict you right now. But, you know, so you don't have to pay your rent. But what happens in three months mm -hmm. when the rent is due, right? Yeah. What happens then? Yeah. And then somebody has to come up with $4,000 worth of money, uh, rent all in one month. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. It's nuts. But on, on, on the kind of slightly more positive front, uh, well, you and I are both in a, in a good position in that we do have the online teaching um and that i mean I, I think even without pandemics that that is mm -hmm. is, is such a, a powerful position to to have um uh, do you feel that that the online teaching yeah. has kind of been what's enabled you to to keep the music career kind of powering ahead in in you know outside of pandemic times no question about it. Um, I first got involved with trying to make money on the internet when uh, I got out of jail. I went to jail for a year. And uh, when I got out, 
I was in a state that I had never lived in before. I, I, you know, I went to this state. I got busted. I did a year. And then I found myself a free man, so to speak, you know, on probation or whatever, um, in a state I had never been in before. And the stipulations of my probation were you may not work in bars. (laughs) Oh, that's nuts. So I finally started to listen to the fan base that had been asking me for a couple of years at that time. This is like 2011, 2000. Yeah. 2011. Like, uh, would you do Skype lessons? Suddenly I became open to this idea, right? Because, you know, it's better than getting a job. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, so I learned how to do it. And, uh, at first I was not as you know, I had taught harmonica, had done John Gindick camps and had had individual students come over to the house and stuff. But I I hadn't really developed a curriculum, mm-hmm. you know, complete with PDF files and jam tracks and ideas about how to develop a musician. That that happened over the course of I would say like it maybe took like a couple of years before I was really good at teaching. Okay. Um, I had to read books on teaching, you know, for, to get good at teaching, you know? Um, and I did, and, and, you know, hanging out with Winslow Yerksa too, you know, is helpful. Winslow is very analytical as I'm sure, you know, and so like lit hanging out with him and running the harmonica collective and running a teaching camp, you know, so does, yeah, you can't use the term camp because that's John Gindick's term, but a, a teaching convention, you know, um, that was helpful. Uh, so, yeah. And then later it became when I got off of probation and could tour again and could work in bars. Well, the difference is, is I suddenly was now able to pick and choose the gigs that I wanted to play. Because I had this income, I could say no to a show that might not present me in the best possible spotlight. Mm-hmm. So when I did want to play, I could say, okay, this is a good club, and this is the amount of money that I deserve to be paid, and I'm going to take this show. And instead of having to take a show that in a nearby club or something that wasn't as good that would then prevent me from ever getting the gig that pays better Mm -hmm. because they knew that I took a job for less money. So because of the instruction and money coming in online, even customizing harmonicas, selling customized harmonicas, things like that, all of that stuff enabled me to be able to say no to people that didn't have or or to situations that didn't have my best interests for the future at heart. Mm. No, that's uh, it, it, it makes a huge difference to have a little bit more agency. Uh, I think that that's that's a huge deal. Um, but but one thing that I I think that I've noticed from your videos um, that that you don't necessarily see from kind of players who do some teaching is that that you genuinely care so much about kind of taking quite quite difficult grand concepts and breaking them down into something that 
a, a relative novice can approach. And so they can kind of see, you know, the, the trajectory from I'm starting here and I want to be Jason Ritchie mm -hmm. and, and like, here are these building blocks and okay, I need to put thousands of hours in repeating this, this thing. But, but I think yeah, you, yeah. you obviously care about making it approachable. Well, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not a very, uh, disciplined or academic minded individual. Okay. Uh, so I remember what it was like to have the junior Wells hot licks video, which teaches you nothing. Okay. Which starts off with, I don't know how to teach you how to play harmonica. Like that's like the first thing he says in the video is I, he says, I can't teach you to play harmonica. It's like the first thing he says, right? Uh, to go from that to then trying to decipher Howard Levy's first VHS tape that came out. And, and, and I mean, it's like, God, like, how am I going to ever figure? Like, I have no background in music theory. I have I didn't pay attention in, in, in class as a kid. I didn't learn how to read music. I don't know what harmony is. Right. All of these problems. And then over the years, kind of being thrown into the lion's den of gigging mm -hmm. and being around musicians, bass players, guitar players, drummers, piano players, saxophone players, who then started communicating to me in this language and having to learn that in the pit. Right. In the belly of the beast. It, so I learned it. And, and so now it's it's like I'm trying to fill a niche on YouTube. Right. Like I'm, I'm not there to become the number one harmonica source on YouTube. That's not in, that's not exciting to me. What's because ex I feel like Adam Gusso and Ronnie Shellist already have the awesome, like best way to teach a beginner on YouTube. Yeah. Right. And, and then, like, you got guys like Constantine Reinfeld and, 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 uh, and, and other people out there that are teaching advanced concepts really, really, really well. It, like, I can kind of follow along, right? Like, kind of a little bit. But, but like, but, and then you got guys like Howard who I can't follow at all. I'm sorry, Howard, if you're listening. I can't follow your stuff, right? Like, I, I didn't start playing piano at age two. Right. Like I, it's just not part of my background. Right. I, I'm like these other cats more than they think I am. You know, these people that are like, uh, oh, I don't want to learn no damn harmony and scales is no good for me. And you, you know what I mean? I understand where they're coming from. Right. So like, but I'm a huge scale guy. I, I'm I'm big into harmony as long as it relates to the first chord, the fourth chord and the fifth chord. <laughs> and as long as those are seventh or ninth chords, we're good. Right. You know what I mean? Like major seven major chords of major triads. I'm good. But like, yeah, can I arpeggiate the six chord on a diatonic harmonica and cross harp? No, no, I can't even do that. You know, should I be working on that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I should be. <laughs> right. But I'm so fascinated with rhythm mm -hmm. and what you can do with five notes in a in any in a bar. That like I'm like oh man I just don't I don't know but I need to work on I need to take my own advice that I give my students you know gosh 
It's funny. You you are the, uh, the the regular example that I use when my students say, "Why should I? Why should I learn the minor pentatonic scale? Why do I need to practice it over and over and over?" It's like, well, yeah. if you if you take your vitamins and you eat your greens, then you know you'll be able to play stuff like Jason Ritchie. Yeah, man. I mean, the the minor pentatonic scale is such a great example because. For me, like for the harmonica players that are listening, okay, well, first of all, it's useful, Mm -hmm. right? It's a good scale for like blues and jazz and funk and rock and roll, all right? But like it also teaches you how to keep the third flatted in second position, right? Which is, of course, a minor third. It's the note that defines the key as being minor. And, you know, which, which should teach you that in any position that you learn it in, okay? But still you know, second position being most beginners go to place. I understand that. It's good. It's a good position, right? So like the other thing about it is the there's no flat five. Before draw, you don't bend. It is so hard to learn how to play without bending that note. Yeah. On the way down or the way up. That's why I teach that scale. Because I think the definition of a rut is when we make movements that we don't intend to do that are habitual, Mm -hmm. right? Like that could be like a life statement too, right? Like when I'm doing things that I'm not aware of, like just like saying the word um, um, yeah, well, this is true. Um, uh, but that isn't true. Um, right. Like until somebody points out, Hey, you shouldn't say, um, so much. You don't even know that you're doing it. Okay. So this is the thing. Same thing is it's like, look, if you want to be a better player, you got to find scales, whether or not you think they're useful or not is almost like, you know, secondary. Okay, but the the thing is, is like you got to move around this instrument in ways that are uncomfortable to you initially, ways that make you constantly mindful. Uh, And I hate new age terminology, but like constantly mindful of what you're doing. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, I I was chatting to Lee Sankey about this and about the kind of uh, mental model of of the instrument that, that you are kind of trying to build up. And and how you, you almost you have to kind of really plow those furrows very deeply for them to be ingrained in your brain so that, yep. you know, when a, a kind of a, a classic example I have is, is students wanting to play a minor blues and they say, should I do third position? I was like, well, you can you can already play the blue scale uh, or the minor pentatonic in second position. Why aren't you doing that? And they're like, well, right. well, I keep hitting these notes that don't work. It's like, yeah, those aren't in the scale. You should, you should know what circumstances they work in, but you should right. also know where, you know, how they don't fit into that scale. Absolutely, absolutely, that's perfect. Yeah, Lee is amazing. Like uh, in his uh, his dissection of of the instrument and how it relates to visualization, and you know, and, uh, he's you know done numerous studies on that he even came to my house in nashville when i was living in nashville one time and i forgot he came all the way from england to interview harmonica players in the united states and he i was one of them and he showed up at my door i was smoking crack in the middle of the interview right (laughs) 
<laughs> but I still somehow managed to convey a visualization model uh-huh. of the instrument to it. Yeah, it was. I'm sure it was kind of traumatic for Lee. You know, I apologize, bro. Yeah, sorry about that. Well, I, I, I'm fairly sure you made it into his study, so I, I think I think he got what he needed. So that's all that matters. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So I, I want to go in a ever so slightly different direction because I'm I'm kind of intrigued by uh, overblowing, but but not like I get overblowing. I'm intrigued what it was like uh, starting to overblow when you started to overblow because I think everyone knows mm-hmm. about it now, and all mm-hmm. my students think that they should be learning how to do it from day one. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. what was it like when you started? That's a super question. And that, that like that kind of question right there is like why I wanted to be part of this today with you. Um, you know, it was totally different then. Uh, nobody was doing it except for like Adam and Carlos, who I didn't even know about, and Howard and a few other weird guys like uh, Wade Schumann, right, is an interesting guy from ha- from Hazmat Modine that has a career in New York City as a painter and teaches painting, but plays harmonica on an extremely professional level for fun, <laughs> right? Or, you know, occasionally for money, but, like, not as his general source of income, right? So, like, not anybody was really doing it. I knew of Adam and I knew of Howard, that was all I knew of. We're talking like uh, uh, 1998. So I I had learned how to overblow as a youngster, but I couldn't do it well, and I couldn't do it on every harmonica. Um, I could do it on certain harmonicas, but I wasn't interested in it because people had told me that I trusted that it was a bad idea. Like uh, Madison Slim, who played with Jimmy Rogers and Sam Lay and was on the Conan O'Brien show with with, uh, with Jimmy Rogers, right? Uh, and had toured, it was this famous kind of Chicago guy. Uh, this guy told me, oh, listen here, you know, that, that stuff right there, and well, that's, out, that's out of tune, and that doesn't sound good, and it's just for jazz, and it doesn't sound good in jazz either, right? <laughs> and, right? That's what I was told. So, like, I believed that, right? Because I was one time, people don't understand, I was at one time a devout traditionalist, right? Like, it was before I had gotten any recognition, but I, I, I was... I believe Sonny Boy and Little Walter and Big Walter Horton and, and Junior Wells and, and Cotton and uh, Butterfield maybe, right? These guys were like, these are the heroes of the instrument, and this is how you should play. And 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 I believe that Sugar Blue and John Popper and Howard Levy and all these guys, they were the devil. And they were playing like they're playing like dinky stuff. And none of it matters. Right? That's that was my attitude which would change because I came to hear Pat Ramsey and Pat was playing blue notes down on the bottom end of the harmonica, but was still playing fast. And then I heard Peter Madcat Ruth and I heard some other guys playing some blues with some like level of speed. All right. And then I heard like Adam Gusso. And I heard the overblows being used in a blues context, flat thirds, minor thirds in the top octave, uh, 
the four overblow giving the the four chord its minor third or its flat third and i started going oh man the the five overblow is a passing note in cross harp or 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 to play like somewhere over the rainbow or whatever and and i was like okay cool like these notes actually do have a use so in 98, when I started investigating this stuff, I was in a work release program, meaning I was custody of the state of Florida and was allowed to go to work every day and come back. But I had some harmonicas and they let me play at the housing unit where I was you know, incarcerated. All right. And, uh, and, and in that environment, nobody cared about harmonica right like they didn't listen to me and i could be in the corner it didn't matter if i was playing like cotton or howard levy they they didn't care about it at all i was just some idiot white kid that shouldn't you know that that they don't want to be around right so i had this wonderful opportunity to play these notes and mess them up and sound terrible where nobody cared I didn't have gigs at all. All right. I had no, you know, I was incarcerated. Right. Mm. So like I had this a magical opportunity to perfect this technique sort of, right. Like to at least be able to do it out of the box Marine bands from like 98. Right. Which was a horrible year for harmonicas. Right. You know, like terrible. And, uh, and, and I learned how to do them. And then the next thing you know, like somebody told me, oh, yeah, it's changed the gapping on there and you can get them a little bit better. And I started I found out a little bit more about Howard and started listening to Howard with a new set of ears that were not influenced by, you know, old curmudgeons like Madison Slim, <laughs> who I love. I still love to this day and still buy into a lot of that traditional dogma. Right. I still buy into it because I believe it's good to stay grounded in what this instrument does well naturally. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that. And that's like what Felisco has been saying for years is like, listen, look, you know, you you can play jazz on it. Sure. Right. But. Is it ever going to sound as good as a saxophone playing jazz, a diatonic harmonica? You know, because, you know, Joe will tell you, you know, maybe he won't say this, but, he, you know, a harmonica sounds better in blues than a saxophone does. Right. It's been more useful over the years. Right. By blues artists, more blues artists have hired harmonica players than have hired saxophone players. Right. So so this is an instrument associated with the music and maybe for a reason. Right. So keeping all of that in mind and having that background and stuff. I started to explore Adam Gusso, started to explore uh, Carlos Del Junco. Somebody gave me a CD. It was, uh, I believe the first one I had was Big Boy. And I was blown away, right? You know, especially by the title track, the Bill Doggett tune, and was like, holy cats, this stuff does sound good in, in blues or blues jazz. And this is something I want to learn. So there you have it. It was a different time. 
I could, I was able to practice it in relative obscurity. There was no pressure. There was no like, oh, this is a hard technique that you're an elitist if you can do. I didn't have any of that attitude. I was just curious about it. I think there's a lot more baggage surrounding overblowing now than there was when I learned. And I think that's one of the reasons I was able to kind of learn it was it was just some weird new thing that nobody was doing. So who cares, yeah. right? If it sounds kind of weird or stop at first, right? I'm trying new shit, you know? Uh, that's cool. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a, harmonica is a weird world and harmonica has been a very weird world for me because I, I feel it's, it's a place of incredibly strong opinions. And I had a, a kind of similar uh, experience of, of really not being part of any kind of harmonica community. You know, I, I learned harmonica, uh, watching Adam videos, watching your videos, watching Ronnie. Um, and then I started playing harmonica in my bands here in Scotland and, you know, not seeing harmonica players playing live. So I was just like, oh, well, harmonica's like my guitar. I'm going to learn to play guitar stuff on it. Not, not thinking about anything out, outside of that. And then it's awesome. It was awesome in in some ways, but like I'm I'm very late to the game discovering like the the old stuff and the really cool kind of traditional ah, techniques yeah, yeah. and things. And you know, it, right, right. It's taken me sitting in a room with David Barrett and and kind of watching him play and doing workshops with him. I've been you know I've taught with him, and then you know he explains why why tongue blocking is useful. And I was like shit. Why, why haven't I been practicing that? I was like, why did I spend all right. this time working on overblows? Um, so it's, uh, I think it's really difficult to stick to your guns in harmonica because there is this uh, language that we're all supposed to speak. I agree with you. However, I think that the paradigm is changing remarkably. I mean, and, and ironically... You know, some of that had to do with David Barrett doing interviews with the most important players in the world and finding out that, you know, these guys aren't 100 percent tongue blockers. You know, like, I mean, I think the Kim Wilson interview, correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be, but I think the first question he says to Kim is, so you're 100 percent tongue blocker. And then Kim answers, oh, no, no, no. Uh, I just found out you can bend them. A few years ago, something <laughs> like that, right? Right. That's cool. Right? And, and, and like, so suddenly the paradigm has shifted because we we can't throw Kim into the Jason Ritchie Sugar Blue category because he's too great of a traditional player. So now we suddenly have to accept that lip pursing, in some ways, has some benefits, right? Or otherwise, guys like Kim wouldn't do it, right? Uh, or you know, so like. The paradigm is shifting. Like when people start a tongue block argument uh, or a lip purse argument on Facebook, that argument is not as one-sided or or as uh, in either way. It's you don't have lip pursers getting defensive. Okay, like you got guys like me. Like if you look at my early videos discussing this topic, there's a, an incredible amount of defensiveness that you can hear in how I'm discussing, well, look, you know, lip pursing is important too. And look, I can do this and you can't do that. And meow, meow. Right. When you, when you listen to my videos now, I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know. 
You know, <laughs> you should tongue block too. And like, here's what's great about it. This is why you should fall in love with it. And here's what's cool about lip piercing. But you know, you wouldn't want to use that all the time, right? So that the attitude is is shifting for a larger group of kids, and, and or not kids, but people that are approaching the instrument for the first time. So there's been a good paradigm shift where information is becoming important. And it's not just about uh, dogma as much as it used to be. And I think that, the, it, you know, it remains to be seen whether that will produce monster, monster players. But I think I think it will. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think it probably already is. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Like I, I like. <laughs> I'm I'm seeing guys who like I'm I'm pretty young, and then I'm seeing guys who are ten years younger than me, and uh, right. like like Constantin, and you're just like, right? What what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> where right. where are these sounds coming from? Or did you see the girl from China doing Walter's boogie no. or Shaky's jump? Or oh like, shit! No, I have oh, seen yeah, her. She, she's killer. Yeah, yeah, she's like tongue blocking Big Walter, right? Like perfectly. Like perfectly, like as good as the masters, right? And, and then she's also can play Flight of the Bumblebee on a diatonic, mm-hmm. and she's like ten. Yeah. It, yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. But I mean, one thing that I'm holding on to, and this might just be me being uh, unrealistic, is is that there's, <laughs> which is is likely, but I kind of I kind of see all these these people who've maybe learnt uh, on YouTube and kind of become very technical maybe there is there is still room for kind of the the old school way of learning musicality because i i sometimes feel that there's musicality missing um not not from necessarily anyone that we've mentioned but just when like in the guitar world for example there are so many shredders coming through now that have just taken it to a whole other level but then can can they hold down a really cool groove in a band right right Right. No, I, I, I don't think you I don't think your uh, your motives for that opinion are off base or or overly rooted in self. I, I think you're right um, that no, no matter what the bottom line is, that it, it's my belief that that art predominantly imitates life. And if you don't have something to say, you're you're missing the point of creating music, you know, um, you know, if you're a good painter and you can technically nail everything so that it looks like a photograph that doesn't necessarily translate to create art. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, technique can be measured. Mm -hmm. It can be measured, but, but like, Hey, listen, you know, like I really dig junior Kimbrough. Like I really dig him. Like, I think like, I, I mean, not just cause I played with him, right? Like when I listened to the music, like, like I got in more into junior after I left that area and stopped hanging out with him. I got more into him afterwards than I was when I was there. And th- I mean, junior's not a technically great guitar player. I'm sorry. He's not, you know, he's just not, but he's so interesting and so creative that it supersedes that for me for me and so like you know like uh my favorite you know like i think my favorite harmonica player is probably taj mahal 
Right. Like, because when I listen to them, I get, I have fun yeah. and I get excited about harmonica again. Right. And, and like that, that's a thing that happens to people who don't play. They, you know, they listen to a guy and they go, Oh, that's, that sounds great. And I'm having fun. And, you know, like, look, man, like if you spend years, it's the same result either way. Right. Like if you spend years getting really, really technically proficient on an instrument, and that's all you broadcast, whether that be on YouTube or a live performance. What the end result is this. People will listen to you, and for about three or four minutes, they'll go, holy shit, that's amazing. Wow, I can't believe it. And then they go, eh, right? They, they just hear a bunch of barrage of notes. Same thing goes if you got another guy who is complete traditionalist, who plays like pretty pretty much in the same key all the time with the same collection of notes that are available on the diatonic with the same embouchure with the same kind of grooves for about three or four minutes it's like holy crap that's amazing i love that and then after a while you're like eh so the idea is to look for that middle ground, right? That to find that gray area where you, you, you know, and like an artist for me that is indicative of that is, is Pat Ramsey. You know, when I listen to Pat, I, I hear a fair share of technique, but I also hear an incredible amount of soul and feeling. You know, same with somebody like a jazz artist like Charlie Parker. When when you listen to Bird, you hear a ton of blues. You hear a ton of just expression that has nothing to do with arpeggiating this chord or that. It's just Bird singing, you know, so beautifully, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. It, it, the uh, yeah, you've put it very very concisely and. Uh, I, I think that it's uh, you, you you do it really well with the material that you play in terms of, of the kinds of things you select because you know you, you I've seen you do Paganini I've seen you play funk I've seen you play blues and jazz uh, and then and then you know you come out with Dirty Memory with uh, with JJ Appleton and and that's kind of a lot more traditional sounding um, I think yeah you, you you keep it very fresh. Uh, for listeners, which Thanks, is man. which is brilliant. I appreciate you doing your homework. Um, as one, you know, I, I listened to the Will Wild interview and and how much homework you had done on Will, and that was part of the reason I agreed to be part of this. I've said no to a ton of this internet stuff. Um, a lot of people have wanted me to record for free on their records right now and like put out a quarantine record. And uh, a lot of people have asked me to be part of internet uh, interviews and podcasts. And, and um, I don't see how that's advantageous for me to do, to spend time away from my wife, to spend time and energy away from my students. But you just dropping the dirty memory thing is why I'm here, you know? And yeah, and that was a record I, I decided, okay, look, I'm going to tongue block single notes on this, like a lot, right? Like I'm going to do that. So I'm going to practice not doing so much, you know, extracurricular BS. And I'm going to try to do the best supportive job I can do, you know? And, and look, man, I fail. I fail frequently. Like when I listen to my own playing, you know, look, I'm, I'm impressed with certain things that I do because they're improvisational. Mm -hmm. So I can't do them again. That's why I'm impressed with them because, wow, that was cool. 
I'm glad that happened. Maybe I should try to figure out how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I just, even though I just did it perfectly, I can't necessarily do it again because it's an idea. Mm -hmm. It's not a lick. I mean, a lick came out of the idea, but but it's an idea. But most of the time when I listen to my playing, I'm saying, oh, geez, Jason, there you go. Beaten off again masturbatory, you know, uh, approach and too many glissandos. They're habit, habit formed glissandos, overuse of vibrato. This note's out of tune. The three draw doesn't sound good still. You know, maybe you should have tongue blocked. That's all I'm doing is just picking it apart, you know, and, and it's not a, it's not a painful process either. I'm, I'm relatively forgiving of myself. And I think that comes with working with students, right? I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to beat up other people. And over the years, I've learned to not beat up myself a, a little bit and just say, ah, you know, whatever I bring to the table, hopefully it's it's okay, but it's going to have its flaws. And I'm going, I am going to error on the side of cerebral mm-hmm. every time, every time, right? Like, there's very few times where you listen to me and I'm just digging in so much that it's boring. That does, I don't do that, right? Like uh, I should do that more. There should be more times where I make mistakes that are rooted in not demonstrating what I can do on the instrument, you know? And so my critics over the years are, are I'd say for the best, they've been great for me to have them. To have the guys that say, oh, they're just breathing patterns. They have nothing to do with music. And all that, you know, this is just Jason jacking off and look at that ego. And, you know, whether or not that was entirely true or not doesn't matter. The fact that I was reading that criticism has been great balance for me Mm -hmm. to go, geez, you know, slow down every now and then, Jay. Like, seriously, right? But it, it is it's all about the, the kind of balance and and also making sure that you do stay true to what what the fan base want as well because like I, <laughs> you know because I also well, I went to see Joe Bonamassa a few years ago and I'm, I'm a big Bonamassa fan um, me too uh, you know yeah. killer player uh, and you know so some someone told him to to get on with it when he was in in the middle of a particularly uh, re- repetitious uh, solo but it it's just like somebody from the audience yeah, yelled that yeah and and you know huh. joe bonamassa just gives him the finger while he's playing so like his fingers are still doing doing the stuff but the middle finger comes up <laughs> and it's like you're at a joe bonamassa gig this is what we paid for and it's it's killer <laughs> So I love it. I'm a huge popper fan now. Uh-huh. I'm a huge blue fan. I, I love Sugar Blue. I love popper. I had the opportunity to tour with Sugar Blue, which was great. I've I've met popper. I've played with Blues Traveler on stage. Um, and before I got the I got the call from John Popper. It came in at like uh, four in the afternoon when I was on the road. I, I was in the shower. And my wife picked up the phone and answered the phone. And she's like, "Hun, you need to get out of the shower. It's John Popper. So I said, <laughs> okay, cool. So, so I hopped out. And he's like, listen, I'm coming to New Orleans in a couple of days. Are you going to be home? Are you off the road? And I said, yeah, actually, I will be. And he's like, look, I'd like you to sit in at House of Blues. So the first thing I did was, well, okay, look, I'm going to be in. You know, n- not in a competitive way. 
but in a way to sort of protect myself, I, I studied some popper for, for a few days, for a couple of days, right? Like I sat there and listened to what he did. I practiced some Mixolydian shit and I, I tried to get good at what he does. It was not easy. Okay. It was not easy. And uh, anybody that that wants to critique that style, hey, man, you know, you're free to have your opinions about it. But try it. Mm-hmm. Try it. Like the, the majority of the people that I hear that say that they can play like that absolutely cannot. They usually sound like <laughs> right when they try to do it. Right. It sounds like a child mm-hmm. trying to do it. They don't they don't sound anything like, you know. They don't have any of the technique or the or the control that Popper demonstrates, not to mention the melodic beauty and and where when he does stop and hits a note for a second or two for a bar for a couple of beats. Holy Christmas. Is that the right note? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And yeah, I, I think there's there's so much space for different types of player and i think it's really important especially in harmonica because you know the greats and by the greats i do mean uh, the sunnies and the walters you know the people who we all acknowledge are great it's really easy to just focus on them and just be like you know just look backwards all the time and right. that's part of the education but but it's it's also great having these you know harmonica heroes that, that go in a different direction. Uh, you know, I, I was chatting to P.T. Gazelle the other day and he's just just such a killer player of, of a different sort, you know, kind of doing the, the valve yeah. playing rather than the overblow playing. And, and it's just so sweet and melodic and expressive and different. Yeah, 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 it's beautiful and it's wonderful. Like, but there has to be sort of an Oedipus Rex sort of psychology at some point. I mean, if you're a professional, if you're looking to do this for a living or, or to become super advanced artistically, at some point you have to say, I'm going to kill my father. All right. Yeah. And you have, right. You have to do that. Right. And, and I'm going to fuck my mom while I'm at it. Right. But you, you got to, you got to do that. You, 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 and that's that whole Oedipus story. Right. You know, these aren't my words. You know, these are, this is Greek mythology here. All right. As a metaphor, you know. So, like, the idea is like, hey, listen, you know, like, little Walter was great. But he was a forward thinker in his time. Mm-hmm. And yes, he studied John Lee Williamson. Sure. All right. And his early work, we hear the influence of John Lee Williamson. But then at a certain point, we hear no influence at all. We hear something that's completely 100% Walter. And what he's thinking of is musical concepts and musical ideas, including amplification, including like hallway reverb, however that was achieved, and slap back, um, and all these types of of, uh, technological advances that he's incorporating into the music. So like, why wouldn't you... At some point when you've done your homework, when you can play a few little Walter songs, why wouldn't you, you know, approach it in a similar way, right? Like when we listen to Juke, when we listen to the outtake of Juke, it doesn't even go, it doesn't even do that. The second version doesn't do any of the licks of the first version, really. 
not certainly not the same way mm-hmm. or in any way. It, 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 it's a shuffle and e is what the song is. It's not it's a it's a it's a moment in time of of an improvisational spontaneous composition. Okay, that's what it is. We don't hear it ever repeated that same way again. You know, uh, and I doubt when he went on tour, even after the song was a uh, a hit, he may have done you know a couple of his own licks, right, to open the tune. Maybe right. We don't we don't have reference, but but he, I guarantee you that Roller Coaster, Juke, The Rocker, and all those songs were never duplicated the same way again. Yeah, no doubt. And that's that's something. I mean, that's valuable information to think about. Now, I'm not saying don't learn the songs note for note, but you have to take into consideration that this music is largely based in improvisation, and so is jazz music. And what we what we see lacking from some of the the uh, the pro- prodigy type of talent that's been coming out of like eastern countries right like like asia and stuff what we like i have guys i've had students that have come to me from korea and japan and china via skype and when i first hear them play i'm a hundred percent intimidated i'm like there is no way i have anything to offer you you are a better harmonica player than i am they're playing Charlie Parker Omnibook stuff on diatonic. They're playing my stuff back to me, note for note, perfectly better than I can play it with better, clear, more accurate intonation on the three draw, more accurate intonation on the five overblow, right? Vibrato on the on the overblows. Okay, better than I can. But then I ask him to play a shuffle and E, and I say, all right, just go ahead and play. And they, they, the first question almost always out of their mouth is, well, what do I play? What do you mean, what do you play? Well, what do you feel like playing? It's an E chord. It's an E7 chord. So you, here's your notes, you know, that make up E7. You have some fun with them. Well, I don't know what to, but, but it won't be good, Mr. Jason. You know, I'm, what do you mean? Just do it. But the, I don't know, what, what did little Walter do? What did you do? What did, who cares what I did? Do what you did, man. Do what you do. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, there, there's resistance. This, the whole idea that that improvisational music is about improvisation has sort of been lost, right? Like over the years, right? Uh, you know, not just with blues players, but also with jazz players. You know, so it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's. I, th- I think that's a that's a more of a classical approach to instrument tuition. Um, and, and I've, I've had a few occasions where I, I've, I've met people who are classical musicians. And I'm like, we should jam. Cause that, you know, that's what you do when you meet a musician, you don't have a conversation, you jam because that, that's how you yeah, have a man. conversation. Right. And, and so yeah, you, you meet a violinist yeah. and you know, you, you meet a violinist, you see them play and you're like, wow, this, this, this player is killer. Let's go and jam. And, and they don't know how and it's like. I could never play the way you play. I have none of the musicianship right. of you, but but you can't right. improvise. What's up with that? Right, right. It's totally crazy, man. But yeah, PT is a great example. Another one that I wanted to talk about was um, I was listening to your interview with uh, with Tomlin. Uh, I mean, with uh, <laughs> That's I'm sorry, me. Tomlin. <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to your interview with Will. 
And uh, and you guys got into the whole tuned harmonica subject, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like, I found it interesting. And, um, and like, you know, Will at one point said, "Well, here's you know, here's a major seven on a country tuned harmonica. It, it can't possibly sound this good uh, as an overblow, no matter how good you are." So I, you know, the first thing I did after hearing that was I paused it and tried to make the overblow sound as good as the as the Will Wild tuned, you know, instru- well, the, the country tune, not Will Wild tune, but the, the country tune. And, 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 you know, I got kind of I got kind of closer to making it sound good than I had before for me. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, you know, that's kind of my approach. Right. But but like, here's the thing. Right. So Will mentioned uh, he said, hey, listen, you know, uh, there's this I had this student that came to me who was playing all 12 positions and all 12 keys, whatever, on, on a diatonic harmonica, but he couldn't really play and it kind of sounded messed up. Okay. So let me address that for a second. Okay. Now, I, I said earlier, and, and I mean it, that I, I've come over the years to the conclusion that Joe Felisco is more right than he is wrong about this instrument that it, it basically doesn't do very much very good, right? That it, what, it, what does it do really good? It does this. That's what it does good. Okay, that, that's it. All right, everything else is kind of hard fought, and, you know, hard, hard won or whatever. There's this artist out of Brazil, Octavio Castro. Are you familiar with this I'm guy? I'm not, no. Okay. <laughs> so I get this email circa uh, 2003 or something from Brazil, from this guy, Octavio, Octavio Castro. And it says, you need to listen to my record for your career. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so immediately, right, I recognize that there might be a language barrier here. Okay, but even if there's not, and that's what he meant, I like him. I like him, (laughs) So over the years, we started communicating. I did get the record, and he's playing everything on a C diatonic. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. It sounds good. It really does. I don't hear a difference between one position or another. Um, Now, that being said, let me make a stipulation. Playing an E flat on a C harmonica, I haven't heard sound good yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair. Right? When I mean, when your major triad is, <laughs> you're in trouble. Uh-huh. Okay. Hey, that was on a G art though, but whatever. So I go to Spa, and Octavio has been selected as one of the artists to to teach and jam at spa and 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 we get to know each other right like in person and and the cat is very cool he's very cool now over the years a lot of people have asked me why i don't play tuned harmonica right why don't you why wouldn't you try a valve harmonica why wouldn't you try the x reader why wouldn't you try a country tuned harmonica you know brendan powers over the years sent me numerous experimental harmonicas and i and i've responded in a very lackluster way of like i can't figure it out brandon it's hard enough for me to remember 
where how my instrument is tuned you change one note on the thing and i'm i'm lost so octavio and i were we're in a in a uh in an instructional q a kind of area and somebody asked me about tuned harmonicas particularly minor tuned harmonicas and my response was well i don't I, I don't don't mess the order up on me. Don't change the order of the notes. And and, and I also think I added something like, well, okay, so here you have, so you give me the major seven, great, but now the chord changes, and I need the old note back. Now I got to bend or overblow to get that note, right? Sure. So like, come on. You know what I mean? How how advantageous or how how good is it really? Mm -hmm. If if it's only good for one song, right? Like or one kind of song, like you know, or that that always has a major seven on every chord. Well, then great, good, use it, right? But still, for me, it's a problem. I, I I I know the order of my instrument. Sure, there's advantages and disadvantages to certain notes. That's true all the time. You can tune a harmonica a hundred billion different ways. You're still going to have blow notes. Mm -hmm. And you're still not going to be able to get that vibrato on that note or whatever, right? So do I need to have 200 harmonicas to go to a gig, right? So this was my attitude about it. But I still had this kind of attitude against Octavio. <laughs> right where I, where I was like you know man you know in my head in my head I was thinking Octavio you know you're you're kind of an egomaniac you know that's what I was thinking like your idea like and, and Will touched on this Will Wilde touched on this and you guys discussed this this concept of I want to do everything because it's difficult Right. Or because it's hard, like talking about switching harps in the studio or having two harmonicas connected with a magnetic strip. Right. This concept of like, well, what's really important is how good does it sound? Right. I, I get that. Right. That, and I agree with that. OK. And, and this is why I was sort of like feeling like Octavio had something to prove Right. And that something to prove was not based, in my opinion, at the time on something musical. Mm -hmm. It was an ego based. Look what this instrument can do. Look what it can do in my hands. OK, especially. Right. And and here we go. Here's, you know, ornithology in E flat on a C harp. Right. OK. So Octavio and I hung out. At the end of the week of spa, I took him out to dinner and I, and I, uh, I bought dinner and we had a great conversation and, and towards the end of dinner, I, I felt a little more comfortable with Octavia. So me being me, I, I don't often censor myself. I, I said, Hey Octavia, let me, let me talk to you for a second, bro. I said, you know, this fucking bullshit where you, you, you tell everybody you want to learn everything on a C-Arp. And, and I said, you do a really good job of playing it all at C-Arp. Don't get me wrong. You sound amazing, bro. Right. But let me ask you this. Don't you think you'd sound a lot better if you used a G-Harp too? Just one. Just one. Just a G. Just to get a little lower kind of tonality. Whatever. And he said, Jason, remember this week when they asked you the question about the tuned harmonicas? And you said, don't change the order on me? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, when I was a little kid growing up in Brazil, I only had a C harp. C 
is the root note of one blow. Don't change the order on me. And then I realized that this person was so beautiful, right? And that this technique is absolutely legitimate for him, Mm -hmm. for him. And it's not based in ego. And it's not based in, in look what I can do, right? Most of the good players today, Howard and Carlos and Octavio and Will Wilde and all of them, we're all just doing the best we can with what we got and where we came from. People may attribute like ego things and we all have egos and we all, and our ego gets involved in music to various degrees, some more than others, but, but no matter what it does. All right. But I was completely wrong about this individual for thinking that. Mm-hmm. He just didn't want C to suddenly be on a different note, a different hole, I'm sorry. Uh, that's, a really, that's a really good story. Um, yeah, I, I think, well, from, from kind of thinking about it from a student's perspective, the, the only danger with, with any of this is that a student, you know, someone who's, who's kind of really early on their journey listens to to someone who has a very uh individual technique you know has a very individual way of looking at the instrument and thinks that that's what they need to do and and they try and copy it exactly i think that Mm -hmm. that's the danger um and that that's not to say that I i don't want you to have your way of playing i don't want octavio to have his way of playing but but there's there's also got to be some consistency i feel um kind of in in the early days so that people can then go off and discover their own uh way of thinking about it i couldn't agree with you more i i really couldn't and like i thank god every day for the fact that i was a, a quote-unquote blues nazi you know like uh, i'm glad that i had that background and little walter before i discovered pat ramsey that's enabled me to be able to do gigs with people like nick moss and and to actually play that music correctly like and and i use that term not accidentally like nick moss is trying at times most of the time to recreate a particular moment in time and he's gonna he's improvisational just as much as anybody was then but he's staying within the parameters of that time period and when i play that music with nick i understand that that's nick's goal Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to do my best to tongue block even when it's uncomfortable for me to leave out overblows most of the time, unless it happens by accident, which at this point, when I play, I don't think about overblowing. It's not a concern. I I may play a solo without an overblow. That's just because it didn't happen. Right. It's it's. Just the same way I may not use a three triple bend in a solo, right? It's just, it, it wasn't, it, I didn't call for it that time. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you entirely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, look, I, I want to be mindful of, of your time. You have been very generous spending so much with me today. Uh, before we, we wrap things up, um, is there anything that you want uh, listeners to check out that you're working on and anything you want to promote? Yeah, my my new record has been like swept under the rug. I, I put out a record called "My Chops Are Rolling." Uh-huh. It got no, it got zero attention. It got six reviews. Okay. Period. In the world, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 
Yeah, six six people reviewed the record, right? It's it's gone triple aluminum in Luxembourg, right? But that's it, right? No, I'm just kidding. It, it, it's a it's some of my best work because it's the first time I've ever made a record that's mostly fun. Mm-hmm. That's not about like drugs and the devil and prostitution and you know what I mean, horrible subjects that people have come to associate me with, right? But like, you know, like it's more about like having a good time and making some fun improvisational music. And it's pretty, the record is, a lot of it's very, very pretty. There's a lot of major pentatonic stuff on there and you know, it's fun record. So yeah, like check that one out. You know, uh, everybody should check out Octavio. He's remarkable, a remarkable player from Brazil. And yeah, you and Constantine and uh, Constantine Colchineco too is very cool. And all those guys, man, nice. there's so much amazing harmonica music out there. Very yeah. cool. Well, I've uh, I've actually been taking notes of everyone you've mentioned, so they're all going to be in the show notes for people to check out. Uh, as will cool. Get Octavio. You should get Octavio on here. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll check yeah. him out. I'll check him out. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. I also want to draw people's attention uh, to uh, Jason's been doing some uh, some kind of uh, streams of Skype lessons on YouTube, uh, which have been yeah. very very cool. Um, just to, to, to check out how a lesson works with the master. Uh, so you should, I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. Cause that, that's very, very cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. And, uh, thank you. Hopefully see you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tomlin's harmonica podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. Join me next Monday for the next episode. Happy harping. <laughs>